We have been going through the earthly life and ministry of Jesus for some time now. And we're coming up on the last week of that earthly ministry before the crucifixion. I comment on that because there is a tendency to think that after the crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus finished his earthly ministry, but he did not. He was here 40 days after that, then ascended to heaven. And so this initial time when he has been telling his disciples and through his word, us, that he is coming to Jerusalem for a specific purpose and has set his face for that purpose. And generally speaking, the disciples don't quite understand as they have a different agenda as they want him to rule now as king and they want to have some authority. So I want to set in context what's about to happen. We tend to think that we know what happens because every year uh, most churches have what they call Palm Sunday Sunday and we go through certain things and in our congregation oftentimes we kind of go through the week that was during the uh, this time. And you would think that going year after year, we would run out of all the possible discussions of what happened on that day. And I must admit, it, some of the things that I'm going to discuss in this I've not heard here. Now, part of that would be my fault in the sense that I've been here a while, but I've also been here a while, and I haven't heard some of the things that I'm about to share with you. And I think some of the things that are very exciting and a sense of, because this day is usually called triumphal entry, that we kind of focus on the triumphal entry, which kind of bothers me because there's another entry into Jerusalem that will be far more triumphal. And we're going to see that, whether living or not. But Jesus has been in Bethany. He's had a meal at either Solomon's house or Martha, Mary's, and Lazarus, whoever you listen to think that meal was. He was anointed. And Bethany is approximately three miles away from Jerusalem, so it's not that far. The interesting thing is that Bethany sits at an elevation about 1,516 feet between Bethany and Jerusalem is the Mount of Olives, which is approximately 2,684 feet. So some 1,200 feet in elevation is going to take place during this three less than three miles. Then there is the Valley of Kidron, and then there is the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, which is 2,438 feet in elevation. So we see a lot of moving up and down and then up again. We hear certain things about the prophecy at this time, and there tends to be this idea about the prophecies that somehow Jesus checks a bunch of boxes. 
one of the boxes here, he'll check, is that he's going to ride on a donkey. And, well, and we say, well, that was prophesied, and therefore he checked that box. I'm here to suggest to you that Jesus didn't check any box. What he did was this. The prophecy said this is what would happen. But he didn't do it because that was what's going to happen. Jesus did these things, and the prophet saw them and told us about it. So Jesus didn't check any boxes. The prophet said, you're going to know it's this guy because we're going to prophesy just as much as the, the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. Jesus didn't check that box because he didn't get to tell Joseph and Mary where to be born. The prophets were so were taught and did it. And so again, there's this sense that the prophecies are there to tell us who Jesus is, but Jesus doesn't respond to the prophets. The prophets respond to Jesus. And one of these prophecies was back with Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 26, I'm going to go through some prophecies first before we actually go to what we commonly call the triumphal entry. And so in Daniel 9, it says this, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. And so Daniel, in his prophetic view, he says there is a time when the Messiah will be revealed. And that time is 62 weeks after the decree that has been issued to restore the building of Jerusalem. There are changes in calendars and whatever, and sometimes Daniel is hard to understand. I believe, not blindly, but based on the evidence, that Jesus' appearance in Jerusalem this day fulfills this prophecy. So much so that there are Jews who believe that the Messiah, since they didn't accept Jesus as Messiah, that either this prophecy is wrong or as they like to say, Israel itself is the prophet. So they tried to explain away this. And so either the Messiah appeared exactly when Jesus appeared, or the word of God is wrong. So again, this event is not just happening in happenstance. It has been decreed by God hundreds of years before. And then there are a prophecy that goes way back to Jude to uh, Genesis and Judah. And in Genesis chapter 49, verse 8 through 11, it says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemy. 
Your father's son shall bow down to you. Judah is the lion's whelp, and from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who dares rouse him up. The scepter shall not part from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, until the Prince of Peace comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. He ties his foal to the vine. And his donkey's colt to choice vine. He washes his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grace. So we see even as far back as Jacob's prophecy about his son Judah, we see the Messiah coming on a particular way. And then the, the verse, the prophecy that most people see is in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then there will be people in praises, and then that is prophesied in Psalms 118, starting with verse 22. And it says this, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Now notice this blessing is to the one who has come in the name of the Lord, which means he comes as the representative, as the one who is from God. The Lord God is, and he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifices with cords to the horn of the altar. You are my God, and I give thanks to you. You are my God, I extol you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good for his loving kindness is everlasting. Those are the shouts and, and the exclamation of the crowd as Jesus travels from one spot to Jerusalem. Then they hurried, and each man took his garment and placed it under him, the bare step, and blew the trumpet, saying, Jehu is king. That is found in Second Kings 9.13. We see that one way the people acknowledged the new king was that they would place their garment like a red carpet, if you will, before him. And this is nothing new because they did it to Jehu. Jehu. So now that we've gone around and we said when this event will happen and some of the prophecies related to this, we'll now take a look at what we traditionally read during the triumphal entry. Palm Sunday. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and with a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, 
and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken of through the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle, and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the fold of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coat. Now I want you, we kind of read that and go, oh, that's interesting. I want you to notice a couple things. One, this animal was reserved for the king. It's the king's animal. No one is to ride the king's animal. They're exclusively the king. Also, we kind of forget that animals need to be trained. So if this donkey has never been ridden before, then it has not been trained to ride. And yet Jesus is going to ride it with no difficulty. And if you know anything about donkeys, and I don't know that much, I do find it interesting that um, in, the, in the Old Testament, one of the major stars in the Old Testament is a donkey who talks to Balaam. Because the donkey can see angelic things and the prophet can't. And the donkey talks and Balaam thinks nothing of it. And in this situation, a donkey, one, needs to be trained, and two, needs to trust the person riding it. You need to develop a relationship. So here this donkey trusts Jesus, which puts the donkey ahead of many people who don't seem to trust Jesus, but the donkey does. But tell me which one is dumb. So the disciples placed their coats on him to create, if you will, like a saddle. And most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and the others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. And the crowd was going ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The crowd is acknowledging that Jesus is not just coming, but he's coming in the name of the Lord. Now, before we get too wound up, many of these same people who are saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, also shout, crucify, crucify. But again, they are participating in what the prophet, as they wrote in the psalm, what the people would do and sing, and how they should be thankful for he who comes in the name of the Lord. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowd were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, usually, we end the story there. Which is why we miss, I think, the most important aspect that Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. And that's why I wish we would call this day something different than triumphal entry. 
You see in Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 23, Ezekiel sees an image. And that image says that the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood over the mountain, which is east of the city. Ezekiel sees the image of the presence of God leaving the temple. I want you to know this. Leaving the temple and going to the mountain east of Jerusalem. The mountain east of Jerusalem is the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives is where Jesus started his entry into Jerusalem. So as the title of this sermon says, instead of it being the triumphal entry, I believe it is the glory of the Lord returns to the temple. For you see, Jesus doesn't just go to Jerusalem. He doesn't just go from the Mount of Olives down the mountain to the Valley of Kidron and up the Mount of Zion and to the Temple Mount. As Mark 11 and the other verse, others say, and Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the 12 since it was already late. So what is happening here? is not just Jesus entering Jerusalem. What is happening is that the glory of God, the Son of God, the representation of God, has come from the Mount of Olives, where it had left, and came back to the temple. That the glory of the Lord now was in the temple. And we will see in a less than a week that the glory of the Lord no longer just stays in the temple. That when Jesus dies, the temple curtain will be rent in two so that we all have the access to God. The glory of the Lord has returned. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It is awesome. It is not just a triumphal entry. It's not just a donkey that Jesus is sitting on that walks slowly and methodically because it's a beast of burden and not like a horse. He's coming lowly and humbly, but he's coming not as a conquering hero. He is coming to return the glory of God to the temple. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And there is another prophecy related to the Mount of Olives. When the true triumphal entry comes is when he descends with a shout and with a shofar sounding. And all of us, whether alive or dead, will be caught up in the air and he will descend and touch the Mount of Olives and it will be split in two and he will be declared and take his rightful place as king. That's the true triumphal entry. But until then, we know that the glory of the Lord has returned. So much so that they thought that God would never leave because that was his house. Only to be told later, because of Jesus, we are the temple of God. He 
well and up. And the glory of the Lord returned and dwelled in us. And so I hope the next time we celebrate Palm Sunday, which may be Saturday, when we celebrate whenever it was, I hope we come to remembrance, not just the prophets, but how God himself came to remake all things new. His glory in the temple. To show who he is. And that God, even when we rebel, still gives us grace. Still gives us forgiveness. Still gives us righteousness. Even when the religious leaders refuse to believe. That does not keep God from doing what God does. Return his glory. Maybe I get too much wrapped into symbols. But symbolism is purely a shadow of the reality. The scriptures tells us in the Old Testament that Moses was told to strike the rock once and speak to it. And instead of speaking to it, he struck it a second time. We are told in the New Testament that that rock was Jesus. God takes his symbols and while we may not understand sometimes that smoke and fire may represent God and so when we see the temple covered with his glory by smoke or by fire we go how awesome but the reality is that the presence of God in this case, is not smoke or fire. Jesus. And we need to see his glory. To see his heart. To see him humble and loving. Coming, even though he is king of not only this world, but the universe. Come. In the name of the Lord for our benefit. There were people who shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I hope we shout, Jesus, we see your Show it to us more. May we be enveloped by it. May we be covered by it. May we so be blinded by your glory. We see nothing and all God's people.